0: Well, it's actually okay still to say Merry Christmas because we are in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas, right in the middle. They don't end until January 6th, so if your tree is still up, it's good. If you took it down, shame on you. Okay? Uh, we have a, we've got uh, obviously one service this morning. Our families are with us. Um, don't worry about your kids making noise. It's okay. It's life; it happens. So, as I like to say, please silence your phones. You don't have to silence your babies. It's okay. Um, everything's going to be all right for us today. Hey, it's a new year, and that means there's some new beginnings, and that's kind of exciting. Um, it's nice to have new beginnings. It's nice to turn over a new leaf and think about having a fresh start about things. Um, maybe you don't know this, but our, our month of January comes from a Roman, well, a lot of our months come from Roman gods, but this one's named after Janus, God of doors. Um, you see his face on a Roman coin here, Janus, God of doors, faces both ways, he looks both to the past and the future, um, and he's also the God of thresholds, and so January is the threshold month, the one that passes uh, from one period of time into the next and, you know, these things, in some ways, they're kind of irrelevant, right? Yay, we made it around the sun one more time. Woo-hoo! Um, but yeah, there's, a, there's a moment, there's a place for marking time and taking stock of these things. There's a place for turning a new leaf. There's a, fr- there's a place for having a fresh start. Uh, some of you will uh, love, you love it when your house is finally clean and you feel like you have a fresh start on the day, right? Or, or things have been, you've taken out all the trash and you're pleased to start things anew. Um, or you've cleaned up your friend list on social media, and you feel, oh, how nice, that person's... No, no, maybe not like quite like that. This impulse, of course, is crystallized in the habit of New Year's resolutions, often sourced in our regrets from the holiday season, right? And the resolutions have to do with our diet and exercise and things we want to see done. We joke about them, but they're actually not bad. In fact, New Year's resolutions, I think there's something spiritually significant about them. And I want to talk about the newness of time for us today. And that is grounded especially in what I want to call the gift of time. Maybe you've never thought about time as a gift before. Well, let's take a few minutes. And let's think about God and time for just a minute. God and time. How can eternity experience time like we do? Does that even make sense? Eternity and time. I mean, we count according... You know, our calendar is a Babylonian calendar. They're the ones who divided time into 360 days, right? And that's why we have 360 degrees in a circle. It's perfect. 12 times... I mean, 30 times whatever it is. 30 times 12 is perfect, right? Everything looks good. Of course, the world's not quite that perfect. It's about 365.24 days per year, which is why every four years we add a day and every 100 years we skip it. Um, Our calendar doesn't quite add up the way we want it to in these ways. Have you thought about the fact that our galaxy, we're on a Milky Way, right? We've got this galaxy and there's these spinning arms. Our galaxy spins at a rate of approximately 200 million years per rotation, okay? That's our galaxy spinning. Every 200 million years, we're in the same place relative to where we were before in the galaxy. Don't worry, none of you will be around when we reach that point. How — Sarah, I'm sorry, bad news. (laughs) How does God, who sits above the galaxy and can perceive the concept of time like 200 million years, how does he relate to time? Do you see how incomprehensible it is? It's unthinkable, especially to people like us who are so locked into our idea of time and counting and numbers in the past and the future. But the first chapter of Genesis tells us something really important. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the first thing he creates is light. And there's a period of light and darkness the first day. You know what that means? The first thing God created was time. He created time before he created anything else, the field in which things would happen. And that means that time is a creation. And as a creation, it's good. God wanted it this way. He planned it this way. He has his own good purposes for it. He likes time. He made it. And so time is something that God has given to us. From our perspective, it's a gift. So what kind of a gift is it? Well, a couple things to say. First, time is one of the ways that God reveals his character. Um, God, to put it more explicitly, we change, but God does not, right? We're really changeable, but God does not change very much. Um, there's a, you, some of you may know the band, They Might Be Giants. They sing a song called Older, and the lyrics go like this. I'll share it with you, Sarah. You're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older and now you're even older and now you're even older you're older than you've ever been and now you're older still you get the idea okay i could have done it for anyone we're all older than you were a moment ago we're changing all the time. We're adding and adjusting. Uh, the stomach lining of your, of your stomach changes every couple days because it interacts with the acid. Your bones and fat cells exchange every 10 years. You have different bones and fat cells. Your brains pretty much stay the same your whole life, except your thinking changes and your memories changes and the pathways within them change. And of course, they decay and go away. Uh, we are constantly in a state of flux. But against this backdrop of, backdrop of perpetual change, God is completely unchanging. He doesn't shift. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. He's perfect and complete in every way. Now, this brings me to the passage that I want us to focus on this morning. It's Lamentations chapter three, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. It's on the screen. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease; for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. A brief aside: This is uh, Lamentations, is written by the prophet Jeremiah. And I'm believing in this year, we're going to look at Jeremiah for a significant part of the year. That's what we're going to turn to later in January. We're going to spend time studying his life and his prophets. And in some ways, I think this might be, for my money, this is our verse for the year, for the church. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so we're going to look at the great faithfulness of God. But this morning, I want to focus on the mercies of God, specifically. That God's mercy is renewed. It can't be exhausted It can't dry up like a well. It can't be wiped out. Some of you, doubtless, were excited about Bitcoin. I'm sorry, it's gone. (sniffs) Right? But that can't happen with the mercies of God. They can't be wiped out. They can't vanish overnight. They can't disappear because of changes in what happens or our location in space-time. God's mercies are renewed every single morning. What this means is that every day is a fresh opportunity to experience God's mercy. Every single day is a fresh opportunity to experience the mercy of God. Isn't that wonderful? Every day is new. Now, this is part of what's meant by uh, this word loving kindness, which in Hebrew is chesed. It'll be up on the screen. There's a dot under the H. That means you get to, like, haka, you get to really spit that out. If you're, if you're really conscious about spitting on your neighbor, don't try this until you're at home later. The chesed of God is his loving kindness. And what this means is that it's the, in the covenant context of the ancient Near East, uh, where people make covenants and write contracts and bind themselves one to another, chesed is God's perfect faithfulness to his own covenant. It's God's power to uphold his part of the covenant no matter what. That's the loving kindness of God. When he swore the covenant, he made a promise. He promised by himself, I will uphold this no matter what. And the power to uphold that, the power never to give up on his promise is this chesed, this loving kindness of God. And that's why God's mercy is renewed every morning or every new day or every new month or every year, every single new beginning. Think about this. That means God is the God. Our God is the God of second chances. Yeah, Third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, I can go on all day. Sixth, seventh, tenth, twentieth, one hundredth chances, one thousandth chances, no matter where you are in your life, no matter what's happened, today's a new chance with God. It starts afresh every single day. And this is based in the character of God, in his renewing mercy, in the fact that he doesn't change even though we do. And change is good news for us because we have an opportunity to experience that mercy every single morning. This is one of the ways that time is a good gift for us. And it also means it's a gift that offers us things like hope. There's hope, isn't there? Things can be different. They don't have to be the same day by day and week by week. You don't have to live in the same patterns and the same sins and the same difficulties. Things can change because God is good. And there's hope for renewal, isn't there? If things are dry and worn out and you're feeling tired and weary, guess what? God is there. And he's reaching out to you. His mercies are new. They're being renewed like a well every morning. And there's also a gift of memory. We can remember the times when God has been faithful to us before and recall those and say, you know what? I have expectation about the future because he's been good to me here. And then there's also the gift of testimony. That when you recall these things, you get to turn to your neighbor and say, you know what, God was faithful to me here. How is he going to be faithful to you? The mercies of God are new every morning. And above all, every morning there's opportunity. Opportunity is a great word, isn't it? The hope, the anticipation, the sense of hope, there's a chance here. We could do something together. Some of you get really excited about business opportunities. You're excited about what you might do in the new year. But are you as excited about the opportunity to know and experience God this year? That is a wonderful opportunity. Don't, I'm not hating on other opportunities. I'm saying let's, have, let's use this opportunity the right kind of way. All of this for me builds towards Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 90 and verse 12, which is one of my favorite verses. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is from the NIV 1984, which you can't find anymore, but it was in my head. I remembered it, and I thought this is the one I like. Teach us to number our days aright, right, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Every day is new, and therefore every day is a new opportunity to know and experience God's mercy. Now, we kind of make fun of New Year's resolutions, largely because people fail to upkeep them, right? The number of lapsed gym memberships on February 1st will be high, right? The number of failed diets within a week will be high, right? Because dieting sounds good until you have to do it, Okay but there's something really deeply, deeply Christian about the resolve to start fresh. That's something that's deeply part of our faith. And what's key is that the fresh start for us happens each day, every day, and is grounded in the ever renewed faithfulness of our God. He's faithful, so every day is a new start. So let's talk about how to do this for a few minutes. How are we gonna make each morning new? How do we maximize the benefit for us? And I'm gonna give you three categories of advice. These are a bit scattershot, they're going to run around kind of high, but we'll, we'll get through these relatively quickly. The first category thing I want you to do to live new life each day is to keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath. Now, in the dialogue between time and eternity, a dialogue in which we as humans play a surprising interface, right? We're, we're creatures of both eternity and time. We're creatures made for spiritual life, but we're grounded in the material world. We're these amphibians. That's our business. We take one day a week to remember that we are beings made by an eternal God for time with him. One day a week to remember that. A Jewish rabbi named Abraham Joshua Heschel writes these words in his book, The Sabbath. He says, six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. That's elegant, isn't it? Six days a week, you work and labor and toil. One day a week, you nurture the eternal Okay? Setting apart time for God. The purpose of our Sunday observances together is to reset our sense of time, our sense of what's important and value. Sabbath's purpose is to teach us to number our days aright. We measure them correctly. Heschel goes on a few pages later. He says, The Sabbath as a day of rest, as a day of abstaining from toil, is not for the purpose of recovering one's lost strength and becoming fit for the forthcoming labor. Did you catch that? Sabbath is not about resting so you can work harder or do more. That's not the point. The point, he goes on to say, is that Sabbath is a day for the sake of life. We are recalling what's important. We are setting our time in order. We're recognizing what's truly valuable. So in focus, what do I want you to do? I want you to make church attendance a priority in 2023. Okay. Now, I, some of you are here visiting. I don't care if it's our church. That's not what I mean. I'm not trying to keep attendance. I'm not trying to boost our numbers. I'm saying that it is spiritually important for you in our busy world to prioritize the things of God in your life. That's important. I'm not important. We're not that important. Your soul is important. And this is what we're after here. But setting apart time for the sake of worship and spiritual feeding and fellowship one with another is one of the most important things we do in our Christian lives. It establishes the priority of eternity for each of us. But in addition to your church attendance, I want you to spend time every day with God. A little time every day with God. Now, this is your personal devotion. Read a chapter of your Bible. Spend a little time in prayer. Do some personal worship. Take this little bit to redeem a little bit of every day to say, I belong to an eternal God. And everything I do is prioritized according to who he is. We are fickle creatures. We change all the time. But we need reminders of the chesed, the loving kindness, the perpetual faithfulness of God. And you're touching base with that eternity each day. That was piece of advice number one. Keep the Sabbath. Here's number two. Mortify the fleshly nature. Now, mortification's a funny word, isn't it? We use it for like, it means severe embarrassment, right? Like I put my foot in my mouth again and I was mortified. Embarrassed to the point of death. But in the Christian tradition, it's actually a really very good term. It's a long process in history. It means the process by which we die to ourselves. So you guys know this verse, hopefully, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Some of the hardest words of Jesus. I don't think he means literally, I want you to die like I've died today, Right? take up your cross and die tomorrow. It means a kind of death to self that doesn't mean the physical extermination of your life. And that's what we mean by mortification. To mortify means to go through this process of dying which isn't dying in a way, okay? So let's talk about some forms this takes. There's gonna be three forms up here. Dying to the self takes three forms. Number one is I wanna say it's putting physical pleasure in its place or physical desire in its place. Now, we are all given physical desires by God. He, he created them. He made them. He gave them to us. They are all good and have good purpose. Uh, accumulation and money and power and sex and wealth and enjoyment and pleasure, all things are good in their respective places where they're supposed to be. Mortifying your desires doesn't mean killing them off so that you're kind of a stoic, empty person with no desires whatsoever. That's not Christian maturity. Um, this is not my image. Someone else has come up with it. But you know what? Fire is really good, so long as it's in the fireplace. Out of the fireplace, it wreaks havoc. And the same thing is true of all of your physical desires. They're great when they're in their place. They're great when they're in proportion. They're great when they're under control. When they're out of control, they wreak havoc in your life. Mortification is the process of putting these desires in their right place. And each day of your life is a fresh opportunity to set your desires in order. Okay? Second way to mortify is to surrender the will to God. The will is the second aspect of this. You remember what Jesus says in the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. He doesn't his will, the inner the choosing part of Jesus didn't think to himself, you know what, death sounds great today. I'm looking forward to being scourged and crucified and abandoned by all of my friends. This is going to be a wonderful Saturday, or a Thursday in my life, I should say. He doesn't say that, but he says, Lord, because it's your will, I'll surrender my will to yours. I'll go with your plan for these things. Now, it's the same kind of action as the ordering of our physical desires, except instead of putting our desires in place, we're setting our will in order. We're saying my will is going to be subjected to God's will. And we ask questions like, God, what do you want me to do today? God, where do you want me to be today? Uh, many, many years ago now, um, I, was, I was in a very immensely busy season of my life. I was taking a ton of credit hours, and I had a part-time job, and I was doing other kinds of stuff, and it was wild, and I was married, and I mean, it was just absolutely gobsmacked with work. And I was out for a jog in um, Pacific Spirit one morning, running along, and while I was jogging, I was thinking about my wife and my marriage, and I said, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to love my wife today? Just show me a way. And I, you know what I meant? I had good feelings about love. I was like, give me a way to love her that feels good for me. That's kind of what I meant in that moment. And so I forgot my prayer, and I went about my day, and I got home, and I, I had not taken a break in weeks. And I'd gotten, I, don't, I think I'd gotten a new video game, and I was excited to sit down and play. I was like, oh, you know what? I have a chance to sit down and rest. And I I had my feet up, and I started the game, and I was just, oh, I was excited just to be taking a break. Meanwhile, my wife had brought home work from work, and she was buried eyes deep in all the work she had, and she was in the back corner creating stuff for this thing and just absolutely overwhelmed with the stuff she had. And while my feet were up and the credits were rolling, my prayer came back to me, Jeremy, remember you asked for an opportunity to love your wife? And I argued with the Lord. I didn't mean this, (laughs) (laughs) God. Now, I wish I could tell you that joyfully I laid aside my will, and cheerfully I walked to the back office, and supportingly and lovingly I upheld my wife in this moment of things. No, I grumbled my way through that every step of the way. Now, she, there were little cards that I was hole-punching and doing things, and my fingers were tired and I was grumpy, and the best part of it all is that it was, they were all having to do with like it was a marriage project they were doing, <laughs> right. The point of the story is this, is that sometimes we have to subject our will to God's will, right? And it doesn't always look like we want it to look. It won't always feel good. But the process of mortifying my will was remembering, Jeremy, you asked for this, and love doesn't look like feeling good. Love looks like serving somebody sometimes in those moments. I wish I could say I'd learned that lesson and been cheerful about it the whole time. I wasn't. I was grumpy. Don't give me credit for it, okay? That's not what I'm here for. Third way we can mortify the fleshly nature is to kill off the ego. Kill off the ego. Now, the ultimate goal of this dying to self is to kill off your own sense of, like, inner self-worth, your pride. Uh, Remember what Paul says, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And we want Christ, that powering, empowering, energizing person to create and make us into the people we're supposed to be. Um, This year, as some of you know, we're going to be reading, uh, some of us in an evening group are going to be reading the Screw Tape Letters. You're welcome to sign up for that still. In anticipation, I was reading through the book, and I came across this quote um, from it. This is, um, just remember, it's a devil writing, but he's speaking of what God wants. So he says this, he, God, wants them, us, to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, that's God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. This is a kind of action when you choose to obey even when you don't feel it. You choose to obey even when the world looks dark. You choose to obey even when you can't see anything outside of your own pain and experience. To step forward in those moments means I've died to self and I'm going to obey God. And in the imaginary world of the screw tape letters, this is one of the greatest threats to the enemy's kingdom. If you'll obey even then, what can I do to you? It's powerful. And so we get mortified. Okay? Third tactic for living new. I said Sabbath was the first one. Mortify the flesh is the second one. Number three is to practice repentance. Practice repentance. I'm going to divide this into a couple different ways. Uh, because repentance is another one of these words that can become a kind of Christian gobbledygook. Right? Uh, it's just we use it and we talk about it, but we don't always know what it means. But I want to break it down to two things. So repentance one is this. Be prepared every day to say Sorry. Be prepared every single day to say, I'm sorry. Not only sorry to God for your sins and the ways you've failed, what's going on, but sorry to your family and friends and the people in your immediate orbit for your sins and missteps. Now, I'm not talking about a a polite Canadian sorry, right? (laughs) Some of my favorite photos are when when the the buses are out of order and the the screen in front says sorry on it. I love that. That's great. It's so Canadian. It's lovely, okay? But this is a sincere... Heartfelt recognition that the mercies of God are new every morning. I've received these mercies, and I want to extend them to you as well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay? If God's mercy is new every morning, then every morning we have an opportunity to be merciful toward one another. And there's a heartfelt sorrow that comes with this. Now, that's part of it. That's a sorry that affects our feelings. But the second part of this, the second, word, second part of it is, uh, comes from a Hebrew word. <clears throat> You've got it in your notes. It's called teshuva. Teshuvah is Hebrew repentance. It has a unique flavor. <clears throat> excuse me, And in the Jewish theological liter- literature, it has a different way of understanding what repentance is. So teshuva means to be confronted with a situation where you sinned before and choose differently this time. Let me say that again. Teshuva means you are confronted with a situation where you failed last time and this time you make a different choice. That's teshuva. So repentance here isn't about feeling sorry. It's about making more mature choices as you learn and grow okay, and advancing. So you've had sharp words with a loved one, right? You've had an argument with someone close to you in your home. Teshuva means next time you come to that argument, do you choose the same words? Or have you repented and are you changing your tack? Now, uh, maybe, but this can also be for, the, uh, for people you don't know. Some of you have been unkind to service workers. You've snapped at bank tellers. You've grumbled at the person making your coffee, right? You may never see that person again in your life. Teshuva means the next time you're encountered with somebody in that situation, do you choose differently, right? See, repentance to be feelings depends upon you. Repentance to be teshuva depends on how you behave towards others, okay? That's why this is the second, second way. One of the most beautiful stories about this kind of teshuva is, if you've not read or seen it, Les Miserables, Okay? So if you've, if you've not read the book, it's a 1,000 pages. Some of you may balk at that. It's worth your time. It's one of the best books ever written. It's a great time. And you know the story, don't you? Jean Valjean, he's a, he's a, he steals some bread, gets caught, is sent to prison for 19 years, right? Finally escapes, and oh, finally gets away, and he is, um, he's shown this immense mercy by this bishop who gives him these candlesticks. And it transforms his life. And he chooses, instead, every situation. He lives as generously as he can towards the people outside him, doesn't he? He's a life of pure repentance. But who chases him down? The policeman, Javert, who can't see the transformation into his life. In fact, only sees in him his prison number, 24601. That's all you are. is who you were labeled to be. It's a wonderful and beautiful picture of how we are called to live a life based on the repentance we've experienced. Right? Being chased by an enemy who won't let us get out of it. But Jean Valjean doesn't crack, he stays the course. It's a marvelous story. I recommend it to you. Okay? So, brothers and sisters, it's a new year. And while you make your resolutions, and I commend them to you, make them, make them well, dream big for the new year, it's far more important that you resolve to live for the new mercies of God every day. That's what's important. And to do this, I'm challenging you to keep the Sabbath to mortify your will, uh, your desires, and your ego, and to practice some godly repentance this year. We get to enter into some worship again. I'm gonna invite our team to come and take their places. Uh, we do have prayer ministers this morning available during our worship. So we have George and Allie, yes, and I think they're gonna be back over here. Who else do we have? We have Val and Janice. Janice, is up, they're up here in the balcony for you as well. Um, and go and receive prayer for anything, Uh, Get prayer for, hey, I feel I called to make this resolution this year. Will you pray for my resolution? Ah, right? Um, I want to know more of God's mercy today. Will you pray for the mercy of God? Wonderful. Whatever it may be, if you need healing, if you need help for anything. Uh, As we prepare, will you let me pray for you? Let's pray. Almighty God, your mercies are new and renewed every morning. I ask that you touch us with your mercy today. There are some people here today who perhaps have never experienced that mercy. I pray they will respond to the call of your good news. There are some here today who are starving for a fresh start in their work, in their marriage, in a broken relationship, in personal sin. Reach out with your faithfulness and uphold them. There are some today, Lord, who are drifting in life and feeling lost. They're uncertain of the future. Show them your eternal faithfulness today. Show us all that you hold the world and its times in your hand, that you are eager to share with us your vision for our life and world. And may we, through our sanctification of time, be and become a people who are wise, faithful, and good. We pray these things to the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We stand with us as we worship.